1: have an enemy and he's no rookie at what he does isolation loneliness depression despair these are all the things that comes against the child of God's mind through the lies of the enemy Jesus himself went into a wilderness a place where he was isolated and a place where he was hungry and at that point after 40 days of fasting the enemy was audacious enough to think that he could get into the mind of Christ and make him confused about who he was and what he was here to do. Well, the enemy, if he won't let Jesus alone, he certainly is gonna come after you and I. And in doing so, you and I have to fight back the same way our Lord did. If you do, the Bible promises that you will be victorious over that enemy's attack against your mind. But if you sink deeper into despair, depression, loneliness, isolation, and hunger, and you're setting yourself up, for a life that's not going to end well. Many of God's people have been under attack for a long time, feeling the weight of depression. And instead of moving forward, instead of pulling out of that pit, they allowed the last words that they heard in this life to be the words of the enemy, speaking a lie into their mind. Well, good morning. morning. Guys, it's my privilege to have a good friend of mine, Paul Hughes up here on uh, the stage with us this morning. He and his family, longtime members of Fellowship Church here. Paul is a, um, he's a husband. He's a father of two beautiful girls. And he is also a school teacher at Chapita Elementary School, one of our best of the best. So I wanna uh, let you get to know him just a little bit. He is uh, uh, not only a school teacher, but many of you have just known through community and you've, many of you are friends with them on Facebook because of something that's happened in their family in the past. But you, my friend, have a seven-year-old daughter, Olivia, which is just sweet, sweet, sweet. And then um, you were excited about the fact that you were gonna have Aubrey. She is now five years of age and she's beautiful and sassy and fine. But you got some incredibly bad news um, during the pregnancy, during Mandy's pregnancy with her. Tell us what the doctors told you.
2: So when my wife was pregnant at 20 weeks, we went in and uh, actually went in to find out if she was going to be a boy or girl. And doctor came back and led a, gave us some, some tough news, news to swallow. He said that Aubrey would be born with half of a heart. That half of a heart. Okay. She'd be born at Children's Hospital. Um, we'd have to relocate to Aurora. And it was... Some of the toughest news that I've ever heard.
1: So you're expecting this child, you know it's going to be a girl. The yeah. doctor tells you she's going to be born with half of a heart. Yeah. Everything in your world changed at that point. You're a schoolteacher here in town, yeah. so you're having to move over there. And, um, and not only would it be a miracle that she was actually born, but then you had surgery. How many surgeries did you face to get her to five years of age?
2: So she's had 14 surgeries, and three of those are open-heart surgeries.
1: Fourteen surgeries before the age of five, three open-heart surgeries. Now, is, is Aubrey done? I mean, is that is that it for her now? Is she okay, or what's going no, on? She
2: She's in an okay place right now, but she has a, a long road ahead of her. Um, her life expectancy, they give her a life expectancy on the heart, her condition, which is 15 years. 15 and years. so they say that she'll need a transplant um, to prolong life.
1: Okay, so sometime between her age of 15 and 20... It sounds to me like she's gonna to have to have a heart transplant, is that correct? Yeah, we
2: go in for checkups every six months. Okay. And so there'll be a time, we'll go in and there'll be a time when they say, let's get her on the list. We've seen lots of kids with these conditions and some make it, some don't, some get on the list. Um, really depends on how her heart functions right. up until when they make that decision.
1: So she's, so she's not on the list for a heart transplant now, but when her heart begins to fail, then they put her, is
2: that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Her heart is in failure mode okay. and so that's why they do the checks. And the doctors get to decide, like, when that happens. And so we just keep her healthy and strong. And wow. she's, a, she's a tough kid.
1: She really She's like any other five-year-old back there in our, our program. She is, she's wonderful. Now, I've watched you and Mandy through this. And you guys tucking into God and tucking into each other. Your marriage is strong. Things are going good. But what a lot of people don't know, because they focus on where you're at now, is that one year prior to um, uh, Aubrey being born you received a devastating phone call from your family members back in Gillette, Wyoming and uh, concerning your dad. And before I, we talk about that, how would you describe your relationship with your dad?
2: Oh, well, my dad was my best friend. Um, he, he was everything to me. He was funny. He was, he's a character. He's giving, he's loving. Our relationship was um, amazing. He's the best thing that, that came into my life before, before my life. Right. And. Uh, he literally like he liked everybody and I think he'd like you. <laughs> there you go. Um but he would do anything for anybody and yeah. What came was was Yeah. Reward.
1: He was before you say what happened, he was um uh, uh well loved by his family. Great relationship with your, your mom. He was the mayor of Gillette, Wyoming and what else yeah, he, was he?
2: He, uh, he was county commissioner. He owned his own business for 40 years. He was a substitute teacher. He was a basketball coach. He was a soccer coach. He literally did it all for, for our family. I mean, he had seven kids.
1: Well-known in Gillette. Yeah. I'd say he was Gillette. Yeah. He was Gillette, Wyoming. And then at the age of 65, one year before uh, Aubrey was born, you get a phone call. And what did you hear on the side of the line here in Grand Junction?
2: It was, the hardest day. it was one of the hardest days ever. Because this happened before Aubrey, um, I got that phone call and I knew something happened right away by the tone of my brother-in-law's voice. And I was in my head thinking, like, who died, who died, who died? Never thought it was my dad. Um, I figured he was invincible. And found out that he killed himself. He shot himself.
1: Yeah. He uh, uh, was 65 years old. And, you know, your family being close, was there any signs that this might happen? Was there anything that made people say, well, man, we need to check on dad. He's not in a good place right now. Did he keep this more to himself? I mean, what did did you see happen?
2: That last year, when we start to think about that storm, that last year he was going through some really stressful times at work.
1: Okay, so here he is 65, let me paint a picture. So he's 65 years of age and most of us guys would think we make it to 65, we're our own business owners, you know, we can get past the hard stuff and as we get older, things ought to automatically get easier. But he had tremendous stress hit him at work at the age of 65, then what happened next? On top of
2: that, he he just got done with knee replacement surgery.
1: Okay, um, so now we got surgery on top of it. So I'm, I'm seeing a perfect storm building here. Um, he had stress at work. He had surgery, which led to pain, which led to pain pills, right? And then what, what else happened?
2: And then he was, after 40 years of running a successful business, he's, he's literally retiring that same year.
1: Okay, so there you go. Yeah. Perfect storm being the fact that stress was hitting him at work. He had pain from surgery. He's taking meds. After that, he, uh, he's got retirement on the calendar, which is a total life change for a man, especially at 65, 66, of what's my purpose now for being here. All those things hit him in a perfect storm, and, and he, end up, he ended up shooting himself with a gun. Now, I just want to say this to you, Paul. I've known you for many years, my friend, and uh, I know Mandy very well. And you did not tell me this. Mandy told me this, and she didn't have to. But I do know that once the phone call came, your twin brother, your siblings, your mom, you headed up to Gillette, Wyoming and you stepped into the shoes of your father. You kept the family together. You uh, wrapped your arms around them and told them to get through this. You helped your mom through a very, very dark place. You became the glue that God used to help them. I have done about 12 to 15 suicide funeral services. And every one that I've ever done in the family has been torn apart. Fingers were being pointed to each other. Why didn't you see this? Why didn't you call that? Why didn't somebody act earlier? If this is what you thought, why didn't you move in with something? And those families were literally ripped to pieces. But after six years now, your family is holding strong. You and Mandy, the girls are doing well. And I've seen you tuck into God. I've seen your character really rise up and really throw your arms around the rest of your siblings and mom. And I just want to commend you for that because God really used you in a great way, important. Thank you, It's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Paul Hughes, everybody, come on. I love you, buddy, thank you, man. Last week I started a message called My Life Is Not a Hallmark Movie. And today I just wanna focus in on one important factor when it comes to depression, when it comes to suicidal thoughts, when it comes to our emotions and to our feelings that God said that we have to guard our heart, We have to guard our thoughts. The Bible even says in Proverbs 4, 23, puts it this way, guard your heart above all else. What he's saying is there's nothing more important that you have to guard in order to live the kind of life that God wants you to live, for it determines the course of your life, the Bible says. Now this morning, I want you to understand, I'm gonna be dealing with the thought life I'm gonna be dealing with the things from our heart that is connected to our, directly connected to our emotions and our feelings. But I am also aware of the physiological elements that are involved in somebody's depression. Don't think for a second that I would think that you don't, people, certain people don't need medications because there's chemical imbalances that can take place in a body. Don't think for a second that I don't think that people shouldn't have counselors in their lives or or someone that they can talk with or pray. Absolutely they should. And we provide that here as well as we provide it, we outsource it as well. And I'm totally from agree with the fact that there are certain people that need to be on certain medications. So I'm not taken away from that. And I totally agree that there are other things that we have to pay attention to when it comes to our emotions, when it comes to our feelings, uh, when it comes to depression or even suicidal thoughts. When Elijah had suicidal thoughts in the Old Testament, he was just doing his work, his job, what God told him to do. And then when he said what God told him to say to a certain woman, this woman said, I'm gonna kill you. So Elijah went for a run, a run for his life. He ends up very tired, very exhausted out in the wilderness. And he lays down and he wakes back up and he tells God, go ahead and kill me. Take me out of here, I don't wanna live anymore. And God doesn't tell him to join a Bible study. God doesn't tell him to read a little bit more of the Old Testament. What God told him was here's something to eat and lay down and rest your body for a while. So God didn't just jump to some kind of spiritual activity, God dealt with his emotions, God dealt with his body, God dealt with his need for hunger, and God dealt with his need for rest. And then after all of these kind of things that came together, then God was able to get him back up and get him going again. Well, in Matthew chapter four, we see a story of Jesus being under attack by the enemy. Last week I shared with you this story how the God the Holy Spirit led God the Son out into a wilderness, and for forty days Jesus fasted. In other words, he had no food whatsoever. Now he was in a camping kind of a situation. Meaning that he was out there though, not like you and I camp in a tent or in an RV. He was out in the wilderness, probably used a rock for a pillow. This was not a five-star situation whatsoever. He was out there tucking into the Heavenly Father. He was uh, uh, communicating with God, the Holy Spirit, and he was shutting down all food into his body. So as he got into a weakened physical state, the Bible said that the devil came to him and began to speak an attack into his mind. Now notice that the devil did not come against him with a sword, that would have been foolish. The devil did not come against him with a big boulder to try to kill him, that too would have been foolish. The enemy attacked him the same way the enemy attacks us. He attacked the mind of Jesus. And this is what he said to Jesus in this weakened state, if you truly are the son of God, He started questioning who Jesus was and what his real purpose was here on this earth. And he said to Jesus in his hungry state, he said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus simply answered, no, not gonna do it. Not gonna break this fast for you or for anyone else. He said, no. And the second thing that the enemy did was said, well, all right then, if you are the son of God, took him to a high place on the temple. He said, jump, go ahead and end it. I mean, if you're really the son of God, you won't die. If you're not, you will die. But just, and and then Jesus fired back. He said, the Bible says you are not to tempt the Lord your God. Isn't that funny? He was asking Jesus twice, if you are, the second time Jesus fought back by saying, you are not to tempt the Lord. Who's God? Your God. I'm God over you. And so the third time he attacks him, he attacks him with this. He says, you can have all of these kingdoms. And he showed him the vast kingdoms of the world. The enemy said, you can have all of these. You've been out here in the desert, didn't even have a hotel, didn't even have a Holiday Inn Express. I will give you all of this. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Now the enemy done went and got stupid you see, because to this point, Jesus was sparring with them a little bit, saying, now the Bible says this and the Bible says that, but just flat out, no. But when the enemy got stupid enough to make up a big enough lie to where Jesus said this, I'm bored with you now. Because the enemy had no power to be able to give Jesus anything. And Jesus created it and it owned it all anyway. At that point, Jesus said, get out of here. Isn't that interesting? Every time the enemy spoke against Jesus' mind, Jesus spoke back to the point where Jesus told him to get out of here. And what did the enemy do? He left. Well, I've got some observations about this story, and I'm gonna see if you already picked up on them. Observation number one, Jesus was not shocked by the enemy's attack. Now, I was. The first time I read this, I thought, are you kidding me? You climbing into a ring with the Son of God? You're climbing back into a ring of the Son of the Heavenly Father who kicked you and all your little demon friends out of heaven? You really think you wanna take, listen, this wasn't one of the 12. I mean, pick on Thomas, he's doubting everything anyway. Pick on, don't step into the ring with Jesus. This shocked me, and I think he forgot. I mean, he knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He knew Jesus was a healer. He knew Jesus was born in a manger. He knew Jesus held the hands of little children. He knew Jesus would feed those that were sick, that, that were hungry. He knew he would heal those that were sick. He knew Jesus was a teacher. He knew Jesus loved us and he forgave his children. But what the enemy forgot, was this Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world is and always has been and always will be a warrior. Not to be messed with. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 15 verse three, the Lord is a warrior, Yahweh is his name. Everything exists because he made it exist. And there is no one greater on this planet or are anywhere else in the universe than the God Yahweh, Jesus our Lord and Savior. So I am shocked at the audacity that the devil would climb into the ring and spar with Jesus' mind. But Jesus was not. Isn't that interesting? Jesus totally expected the enemy to do what the enemy does. Second thing, Jesus went one-on-one against him without calling for backup. Now, he could have called for backup, right? I mean, the Bible says that the angels came after the fight was over and ministered to Jesus. That's bad timing, staff. Why didn't you pull up in your, in your Hummer right, bef- right before that? I mean, he could have had 10,000 angels on the scene, drove the enemy out of there. He could have been encamped about by angels. But the Bible says the angels didn't show up until the one-on-one battle was over. Jesus didn't even call for his 12 boys. He didn't even call for Peter, James, and John, the top three. He need no phone call to say, meet me now at the Starbucks. I think what I'm feeling right now is a tall latte with extra foam, a little bit of caramel drizzle on it and a cinnamon stir stick. Because I'm being attacked and I ain't talking to somebody. He didn't try to jump into a Bible study. He didn't have time to go to a church service. He took the enemy on head to head. Now, I love the small groups of our church. I love the Bible studies we have around here. I love to see you guys in the, in the, that are that are greeters and ushers and, and security circling up praying, children's workers circling up praying and praying for each other. I love that. I love it when we get together here in church. I love the friends that I have in my life where I can call, send them a little text saying, hey, got a little something going on here, pray for me. Boom, 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 man, I get text. People praying for, I love that. I love our church family. I love you. I love doing life with you. This is an awesome place and it is incredible. But you people will not be walking around my living room with me, helping me at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I'm not in your house either. So there are some battles that are so strategic and so well planned out by the enemy that he will make sure you are totally isolated and he will hit you one-on-one just to see what you're gonna do when he starts putting things into your head. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was alone. He was not provoking a fight. He was out there spending time with his heavenly Father. That's observation number three. Jesus was not provoking a fight, but the fight came to him. Now, stay with me a minute, because I do know that Jesus is the Son of God, and I understand God's plan of redemption for mankind came through him. And I understand he provoked the enemy when he was in the womb of Mary. He was provoking the enemy when he was in the manger. He provoked the enemy when he went through his life, when he died on the cross, and when he rose again from the grave. I get that. I get all that. But in the physical, he was not turning tables over at the temple gate. In the physical at this time, he wasn't casting out 10,000 demons out of one guy, throwing them into a herd of swine and making them dive into a river. He wasn't shining a light on how good God is by performing some kind of miracle in the city square. He was in the wilderness alone, not eating anything. Now, for those of you who feel like that you can fly under the radar, for those of you who feel like you can be a born again child of God on your way to heaven, without a doubt being saved, and yet when it comes to worshiping God, just keep your hands down, don't, 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 don't make a scene, don't go to any Bible classes, don't teach anybody, don't help anybody, don't do anything, don't serve God, because you just wanna fly under the radar and maybe the enemy will just not even pay you any attention. Here's my question, how's that working for you? Can I tell you, dear child of a most high God, the enemy has demons, those demons know where you live, they know the names of your children and where they go to school. You cannot and you will not ever fly under the radar of the enemy. That's why Jesus tells you if you are gonna make it in this life, you are gonna have to do what I do. You're gonna have to fight back. So when the enemy says turn these, hit them with hunger, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Is your sexual appetite? That's where the enemy's gonna hit you. Every sin that mankind faces falls under three categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Every one of them fall under three. The Bible says the enemy doesn't have anything new that he's gonna throw against you. Paul says we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices, meaning he's not a creator of anything. He just repeats that which he has always done. You wanna know what the enemy's gonna bring against you? Just look at what he's brought against others. Same stuff, nothing new. So the Bible teaches us that when he, when he, when he came against Jesus, Jesus, he came against Jesus and said, turn the bread stones into bread. He said, no, not gonna do it. He said, jump over this high cliff, no. I'm not going to do that. And then finally, he hits Jesus with something so stupid, Jesus gets bored and says, go away. Here's my fourth observation. Jesus fought back. And if Jesus fought back, don't you think for a second that you and I aren't going to have to fight back. We have to argue back because I can't let the enemy have the last word because if he has the last word, then he has my mind. Whoever has the last word, whoever speaks it, controls the mood of the mind that you will move forward with. And if he has my mind, he has my whole day. And if he has my day, then he has my night. And if he has my night, then he has my peace. And if he has my peace, then when I try to lay down to get some rest, I won't be able to. And if he has my mind, he has my future. You see, there are some things you can get away with not doing well and still live well. This is not one of those things. You have to fight back. That's why Jesus tells us over and over again who we are and how valuable we are. That we are not only his children, but we are warriors of God. He says that we are his warriors. First Samuel 18, 17 says, but first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting in the Lord's battles. this so many stuff is spiritual, it's not even your fight, but you gotta be in it anyway, because you're part of his family and the fights against the kingdom of God. Isaiah 13, three says, I the Lord have dedicated these soldiers for this task. Yes, I have called what? Mighty warriors. Now some of you don't feel like mighty warriors and I talked to somebody in the lobby as they were leaving and they say, okay, okay, I'm tired. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm tired, listen, the last thing I want right now as exhausted as I am is another fight. If I could just lay low. I I feel more like a weakling, if I just, if I'm just honest with you, I feel more like a weakling than a warrior. You ever felt that way? You think that'll fly? Take a look at this, Joel chapter three, verse 10. Train even your what? Weaklings to be warriors, and how do you do that? You argue back, you argue back. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. I would never make somebody feel bad because they're taking medication for anxiety or nervous conditions or depression. I would never do that. I have seen many, many people that have gone on prescription drugs and stay on it for many, many years I'm not. I'm not. I'm not seeing anything bad about that. I'm, I'm really not. And, I, and I've seen others. I've seen others that have something bad happens, and they 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 use some escapism form of behavior, whether that's pornography, whether that's drugs, whether that's whether that's alcohol. And, 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 and when you hear the story, you go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can understand you wanting to escape from those feelings and those emotions. I mean, what, what hit you is hard, and if you could just get some sleep tonight, maybe that, maybe that could help you. I, I mean, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say, but all I'm asking you to do is just try what our example did first. Just try it first and see what happens because too many of God's people never go to the level of spiritual warfare. They go to the level of whining, complaining, pill-taking, drinking, numb till you're dumb, and you can't be sober enough to know what to do or how to fight back. And Jesus says, I got you a better answer right here. He says, mighty warriors, try this, argue accurately argue back accurate. he didn't just say argue back he tells us how to argue back you see this doesn't mean that you're always going to be quoting the scriptures exactly right what it does mean is that you need to know that what you are quoting is right you don't have to have it all down you just have to know what you are saying thus saith the word of god is accurate in your life because there's a difference when you argue about something that you're really sure of and argue about something when you're not sure of it. Now, now I'm an arguer, I'm a debater. I have no problem with a confrontation. I kind of like it. So when you come to me with an argument, my first goal is to get the last word in. My first goal before we leave, I just drop the truth, boom. You let that, you let that soak in for a while. Now, I'm better at arguing. How many of you, first of all, how many of you enjoy arguing a little bit? Would you raise your hand? Oh, I got to do it a different way. How many of you are sitting beside somebody who enjoys arguing? Would you raise, there you go. How many of you enjoy, you want to have the last word in an argument? Would you raise your hand? (laughs) Woo, that's why I love you honest people. Now, I want it whether I'm right or wrong. I want it makes me feel better. But the truth is, if I am not sure about what I'm arguing about, I can be easily persuaded to go to the other side. Watch this, I can be talking about this, and I think this is right, and that's right, and I think, what that? you know, I heard, and I read, and this one, and if somebody says, well, you know what, I do that for a living, and that's not accurate at all. This is the truth about that situation. I'm like, oh, okay, then we'll go your way. Because I, I don't have any confidence if I'm not accurate. Well, here is something, now this is, a argue accurately. Here's something that I am absolutely 100% certain of. God cannot lie to me and all the enemy does is lie to me. So, so here's the verse, look at, look at it with me. John chapter eight, verse 44. Describing the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. He, when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's how I put it. He is a lying liar who lies. So matter what he says into my mind, I automatically am confident it's a lie and I am just as confident that what God tells me is absolute truth. So the question is, which one am I going to let have the last word? Argue assuredly, confidently. Um, Ann and I, uh, we had a house up in the Redlands and, and a while back now, a while back. We love to go walking in this neighborhood, great neighborhood to walk in. Little bit of hills up and down, sidewalk down by the... Uh, by the back area there toward the monument. And it was just great. But I sometimes, I, you know, I'd ask her, hey man, you gonna to walk today? I had to go to work earlier or whatever. And she said, she said, yeah, I didn't stay out very long. And why? She said, well, there's two dogs in our neighborhood and they scare me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, well, you know, those two dogs. And I go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause then we did, we had two dogs. Before I say anything, we love dogs. We love them. We do, we love them. So, um, but anyway, these two dogs are like, you know, 70, 80 pounds, 90 pounds, big kind of mixed breed dogs. And they were kept as yard dogs. They were yard dogs and they were guard dogs is what they were. And kept in the backyards. And, and, you know, and if a dog's out in the front yard and there's no fence, you think immediately, well, they probably got an electric fence. So it's going to stop. You know, it's not going to come all the way across the ditch out into the street where you're at. So we'd walk together and the dog run out there, hit, you know, stop right there. I'm like, okay, that's good. You better stop right? Okay. So, so, but Anna, Anna, she was afraid of him. And I said, honey, listen, when a dog comes after you, just, just say very confidently, no, change its mind, change it, no, do it. And, and then Anna would go, and this is how Anna did it. She'd go, no. And I'm like, baby, you can't do it that way. She said, honey, they can smell fear all over me. I said, I can smell fear all over you. You can't do it like that. And we were out walking together, no kidding, I'm telling you the truth. We were out walking together and one of, the, one of those dogs came out from out behind the fence and uh, actually was barking at us as we were walking in front of the house. It hit the gate and when it did, it pushed the gate open enough to squeeze through it, came flying across the park, their, uh, driveway, flying across the front yard, cut across it, and Ann and I are in the middle of the street. And I'm thinking, if you, if you hit the street, it's on, Jack. And it's here, I'm here. I'm like, okay, we'll see what that. So boom, it hit the street. It came into the street. It's like right here. And and, and this was, I said, said, no. And that dog stopped dead in its tracks. I said, sit down. That dog sat down, laid down and rolled over and put all four paws up in the air. (laughs) I kid you not. I kid you not. I, I was shocked me. But I knelt down by, I said, hey, don't be doing that. You don't do that next time now. You're all right, don't be doing that next time. The owner came out thinking, oh no, my dog, did he he hurt you? And then he thought, what's wrong with my dog? (laughs) Because here's something I was absolutely confident about. That dog tried to get to my wife. We're both gonna end up bloody, but I'm gonna win. The dog thought he was the alpha male. He met the alpha male that day. It was me. Now, my sweet wife, as she was walking with one of our granddaughters, God have mercy on that dog. Because something else would be at stake. She said to me one time, she said, I don't want to walk if you're not walking with me. I said, no, let me give you an equalizer. I gave her a can of bear spray. I said, it come in the street, hit it at about 25 feet away right in the face. It will never forget you for the rest of its life. Would it have been better if I told her just get down on her knees and pray the dog didn't bite her? You said, no, no, no. In that situation, you fight back. Am I off base? And you fight back as the alpha male. Confident, assured. Here's the last thing Jesus told us. You argue adamantly. You argue adamantly. Man, I love this. Take a look at Luke chapter four, verse 13. The Bible says when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next, what, what, what? He didn't learn, did he? The bear spray hit him in the face, he didn't learn. He came back again. And if he will come back again against Jesus, he will come back again against you. He'll leave you until there's another opportunity to come back. You resist him, adamantly. That's what Jesus did. Turn his bread, no. Jump off this hill, no, I'm gonna do it. Bow down and worship me, get out of here. You don't want stupid on me. This isn't even, even fun anymore, not even a challenge. You gonna say something that dumb into me? Get out of here. But Jesus knew, and you better know it too, he's coming back again. Amen. And when he does come back again, you need to, my dear brother and sister, warrior on up. Because the fight's on, whether you want it or not. And the only way you're gonna win it is to get in there and fight it. Because you've been given an equalizer. His word. I love, I love when I'm, when I'm in an argument with somebody and I got the truth on my side. I keep it tucked in here like it's a trump card in a card game. I know I got it, I know they don't. I don't know no matter what they lay down, I can trumpet. Boom. They'll say something to me, and, and I, I just wait. They're just going, na, 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 I wait, I'm poised, a little stoic. And the second it gets a little quiet, I'm like, boom! And the enemy will get in my head sometimes. And before you know it, that enemy's telling me that, oh man, this is gonna be bigger than you. You can't beat this. This is going to overwhelm you. And the enemy's like, "Na nah, na 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 na." I reach in my pocket. Boom, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And the enemy says, "There's more of them than there are you." And the enemy's coming at you. And I go, "Boom! The enemy's coming at me one way, but it's going to flee away from me another way. You can't do this, Hooper. I'm telling you right now. Boom, greater is he that is in me than is he that is in the world." you're not gonna be successful, boom, I am more than a conqueror through those to him who loves me. Now choke on that for a while and get out of my marriage and get out of my house and get out of my finances and get out of my kids' lives and get out of their school and get out of my grown kids' lives and get out of my money. And I do know he's coming back but I'm loaded. <laughs> Got my trump cards. You hit me with that, I'm hitting you with this. Because you cannot have the last say in my mind. You can't have it. Today, I, uh, I was thinking about, go ahead and stand with me. I was thinking about how I wanted to close it. Last night, well, last night it was. I thought, I bet we got a lot of Christians in here who he would fight back. They just need an arsenal. I called Jeremy Pollan I said, Jeremy Pollan I'm gonna give you five verses. Fight back verses. Argue back verses. I'm gonna give them to you, and throw them on our Facebook page this morning so people can screenshot them, put them as wallpaper, whatever they wanna do. Five fight back verses, there they are there at the bottom right there. I right dare. Here's a couple more right there. So the next time the enemy comes against you, you come against him. You're a mighty warrior. I know you're a tired mighty warrior, but you're still a mighty warrior. And hit him back. Until you're tired of fooling with him, just tell him to get out. Get out. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. Would you bow your heads with me for a second? How many of you have been in a battle? A battle against your mind, a battle against your emotions. It's about taking your future out. It's about destroying what you got. It's about taking it all away. Jesus said, fight back. Because... What you're looking for in the way of ministry from a supernatural, angelic force is gonna come after the one-on-ones over, not before and not during. Get to it quicker by getting yourself in the battle Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray over the minds of every person that is in this room. We're your kids, and yes, we're under attack. It didn't surprise you, it shouldn't surprise us. And we know that if the enemy would have the audacity to come against you, Jesus, the enemy is not worried about coming against us, but you're our example. You're our example. So we're not keeping our mouth shut any longer. We're fighting back with your word, your truth. He is a lying liar who lies. He is a lying liar who lies. And you only speak truth into our lives. So we accept that and not the lies. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Love y'all. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.